The following sermon is from Fifth Avenue Presbyterian Church in New York City at the corner of Fifth Avenue and 55th Street in the heart of Manhattan. We welcome you to worship with our vibrant community of faith. Head to FAPC.org and join our email list and be sure to subscribe to FAPC in New York City, our YouTube channel. And now we invite you to breathe deep and lean into the beauty of worship with Fifth Avenue Presbyterian Church. A reading from the prophet Isaiah. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who lived in a land of deep darkness, on them light has shined. You have multiplied the nation, you have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as people exult when dividing plunder. For the yoke of their burden and the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For all the boots of the tramping warriors and all the garments rolled in blood shall be burned as fuel for the fire. For a child has been born for us, a son given to us. Authority rests upon his shoulders, and he is named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. His authority shall grow continually, and there shall be endless peace for the throne of David and his kingdom. He will establish and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time onward and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Here ends the reading. A reading from the Gospel according to Luke. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a town in Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was much perplexed by his words and pondered what sort of greeting this might be. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And now you will conceive in your womb and bear a son and you will name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his ancestor David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I am a virgin? The angel said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be holy. He will be called Son of God. And now, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month for her who was said to be barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. Then Mary said, Here am I, the servant of the Lord, let it be with me according to your word. Then the angel departed from her. Here ends the reading. A reading from the Gospel according to Luke. 
In those days, the decree went out from Emperor Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration and was taken while Quirinius was governor of Syria. All went to their own towns to be registered. Joseph also went from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to the city of David called Bethlehem, because he was descended from the house and family of David. He went to be registered with Mary, to whom he was engaged and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for her to deliver her child. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. Here ends the reading. A reading from the Gospel according to Luke. In that region, there were shepherds living in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. Then an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were sore afraid. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for see, I am bringing you the good news of great joy for all the people. To you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You will find a child wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace among all people. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said one to another, Let us go now to Bethlehem and see this thing that has taken place, which the Lord has made known to us. So they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the child lying in the manger. Here ends the reading. A reading from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 2, beginning with the 14th verse. When the angels had left the shepherds and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go now to Bethlehem and see this thing that has taken place, which the Lord has made known to us. So they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the child lying in the manger. Here ends the reading. There is a promise at the heart of our faith there is, a, there is a silver thread woven through ancient prophecy, beloved psalms, and the pages of the Gospels. We are never far from this promise when we read the good book, when we sing our hymns, when we recite the creed. Whenever we look at Christianity's broad tapestry, this shimmering vow, this silver thread catches our eye It calls to us. You know the promise of which I speak. On this tender night, it is stitched into every lesson and every carol. You know this promise, and you know the stories that give rise to it. Whenever God looks on those who struggle, whenever God finds weary, broken-hearted people, people walking in deep darkness, God speaks this promise. God looks with compassion on this hurting world and says, 
I'm going to send you a Savior, a Redeemer, a Messiah. This is faith's silver thread. The Gospel of John weaves this promise into its opening chapter. In the beginning, says John, was the Word. This Word from God was full of light and life. This, this Word put on bones and skin and came to stand among us. Christ came. He came as a signal fire, a beacon, a lantern in heaven's window, showing us the way home. Luke's gospel writes this promise across the night sky. An angel wakes the shepherds with it. Do not be afraid, for see, I am bringing you good news of great joy for all people. To you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is the Messiah, the Lord. This hoped-for arrival is trumpeted in People Look East, the Advent hymn we've been studying and singing throughout December. Every verse of Eleanor Fargian's carol glimmers with faith's promise. Love is on the way. Love approaches us wearing surprising guises as a guest, a rose, a bird, and a star. And that's not all. The final verse of Fargian's carol offers one last classic picture of God's love entering the world. Angels announce with shouts of mirth, Christ who brings new life to earth. Set every peak and valley humming with the word the Lord is coming. People look east and sing today, love the Lord is on the way. Now this may well be the most troubling verse in the carol for us. It's a joyful thing to picture God's arrival as a bird or, or a star. These open-ended and playful images engage our hearts. We might hesitate though in contemplating the arrival of the Lord. Is that who we wait for on Christmas? There are many reasons we may balk at the suggestion that we need a Lord to rescue us. We are naturally suspicious of authority. We, we want to honor that, that fierce, independent voice inside of us, a voice we first found probably on a playground. You're not the boss of me. We resist the notion of a Lord out of political principle. We don't live in a feudal state. We're a democracy. We wrote the Constitution to free ourselves from kings. Or maybe we've simply watched too many medieval fantasies to get comfortable with lords. Too many vivid pictures float through our heads of serfs being told at spear point to bend the knee. Every year around Christmas, our family watches the Lord of the Rings movies the extended version, all nine plus hours. Based on the novels by J.R.R. Tolkien, these films tell the story of an evil warlord, Sauron, and his quest to regain control of the One Ring, a source of dark power 
that will allow Sauron to rule over Middle-earth. Now, while Sauron is the primary villain in Tolkien's tale, he isn't alone. In this story, other lords and kings, each pursuing their own ends, wield power in malignant and destructive ways. Having watched all sorts of craven political figures tear Europe to shreds during World War II, Tolkien had plenty of real-world real evidence to back up this fantasy. And the same can be said of the good book. As scripture describes the political authorities, the lords of Jesus' time, as a self-interested and brutal lot. Take King Herod. When rumors begin to circulate that the long-promised Messiah has been born, Herod, traitor to his own people and a puppet to Rome, detects a threat. Herod rants, I'm your Lord. There's only one king. Anyone who tells you that God has sent a new ruler to supplant me is lying. Herod will do whatever it takes to preserve his power, to prolong his time on the throne, to feed his insatiable ego. On learning that the Messiah is to be born in the city of David, Herod does the unthinkable. He orders all the baby boys in Bethlehem killed. Even in the good book, especially in the good book, the failings of kings exact a steep price. Does anyone on this battered old planet really want God to send us another Lord? Our tradition, our, our dark history, and, and yes, our lived experience all add heft to this question. It's been a hard, hard year. Isolated by this brutal virus, dangling over an economic abyss, still grieving deep wounds and unresolved conversations about race, awash in an epidemic of hopelessness charted by rising addictions and suicides in rural America, it's no secret 2020 has been some kind of rough. The U.S. Postal Service reports that this year's letters from children to Santa reflect our country's struggles. Consider this letter from Alani, age nine. Dear Santa, this year has been rough because of Corona. I was hoping I could get some Lego sets. My my mom said she can't get anything for me for Christmas because she's not getting paid as much, so she cannot afford anything. Or this letter from Andy in California. Dear Santa, Merry almost Christmas. I know you're busy, but I hope you can read this letter. It's from me and my brother. We both have been very good. Sometimes we fight, but still love each other. We would like a Nintendo Switch to share. I know it's a lot of money, so it's okay if we don't get one. Thank you, Santa. I wish COVID was over so we can hug. Or this letter from Savannah in Massachusetts. Dear Santa, what I want for Christmas is a few Lego sets, hard ones, some baby clothes, solar system stuff, 
paint pens. Savannah concludes her letter then with a PS. I'm sorry if I've been bad. It's really hard because of COVID-19 and online school, school in general. I'm trying to be good. Hope you understand. I'm trying to be good. Hope you understand. Savannah's words are so poignant, so honest, so spiritually on target. Savannah's note echoes, in fact, all these tender notes echo with ancient hopes, hopes writ large on the pages of the good book. The prophet Isaiah gave voice to hopes like Savannah's. He, he wrote of a beleaguered folk, those who walk in a land of deep darkness, who pray for a deliverer, for God's chosen one, a monarch who would lead out of compassion and not selfishness, who would govern with vision and not cynicism, who would approach brokenness with healing and not divisiveness. They asked God to send a benevolent king, a, a leader who would stand not above, but alongside them in the trenches. Someone, in Savannah's words, who would understand. This really is the one for whom we wait. This is our heart's oh-so-basic desire. And this is where Christmas enters in. Christmas hears our prayers and stoops to whisper, God has heard your plea. The silver promise has been fulfilled. Love, the Lord, is on the way. And to our great delight, the Lord God sends is unlike any Lord we've ever seen. At the conclusion of Tolkien's The Lord of the Rings, in both the books and the movie, having made daring escapes and survived gory battles, having faced daunting foes and after taking tremendous losses, the heroes and what's left of their armies gather for the crowning of a new king. As the coronation gets underway, the king unexpectedly pivots and kneels. And the other lords and ladies of the court kneel as well. They bow before four small figures, hobbits, the main characters in Tolkien's story. Why do the people kneel before these little ones? It's certainly not to recognize the hobbits' power. <laughs> they were not powerful people, not in any recognizable way. The halflings' enthusiasms ran to gardening and hearty breakfasts, not throne rooms and conquests. So why then did the people kneel? They knelt, I suppose, because the hobbits had exhibited great bravery and fortitude in the quest to destroy the ring. And they knelt to honor four uncommon souls, souls who managed, even in moments of personal suffering, to ground their actions in decency and kindness. And there you have it. After thousands of pages of brutal conflict, Tolkien's sweeping adventure ends with people honoring an unconventional sort of hero, 
on bended knee. Luke tells a pretty good version of this story. Racing to Bethlehem, the shepherds skid to a halt in front of an exhausted blue-collar couple who have just nested their yawning, wide-eyed babe in a cow's food trough. This is the one of whom the angels sang? Hmm. Instead of disappointment, though, instead of feeling cheated, the shepherds pause. They look. In the dim light of the barn, they begin to see. They see less and somehow a whole lot more than they ever expected. They gaze on a scene so intensely beautiful, they can hardly bear it. The child in the straw draws praise from their lips. The shepherds, says Luke, begin to worship. They bend their knees to love. Over the past month, the deacons of this church have been trying to help Santa answer some of those letters I read to you earlier. With your assistance, they've been wrapping gifts for children who live in a nearby family shelter. Last week, the deacons called the shelter coordinator, Denise, and reported that the presents for every child in the shelter were ready for pickup. When Denise arrived at this church, however, tears filled her eyes and the deacons started laughing because there was no way the pile of gifts they had assembled would fit in her small car. Smiling with delight, the deacons called for an Uber, a big one, an SUV and they proceeded to fill it with their packages. Even the Uber driver got caught up in the moment. In this oh-so-trying time, everyone was giddy. And somewhere, the shepherds were nodding. Of course they were. Because this is the sort of thing that happens when people are touched by the silver thread of God's promise. This is what kneeling before the king of decency and kindness will get you. You'll find yourself loading an SUV with joy, with joy pumping through your heart and tears running down your cheeks. You'll find yourself singing, singing the song of Christmas. Love, the Lord, is on the way. Let's join in. Friends, if you have a candle that you can hold, I encourage you to pick it up now and light it. As together we hear this reading from the Gospel according to John. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him, and without him not one thing came into being. What has come into being in him was life, and the life was the light of all people. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not overcome it. 
Here ends the reading. Go forth, my friends. The dawn of redeeming grace awaits. Love the Lord has entered the world for you. Alleluia. Merry Christmas. Amen.